May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Our faith is found and made alive by the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus is the heart of God, mysterious and true. It is the Spirit who brings Jesus into our presence this very morning and calls us to live and know the power of God. Our faith is found and made alive in the person of Jesus. Born to Mary and Joseph, the small village of Nazareth, Jesus, flesh and blood, called sinners and the outcasts his friends, cared not for wealth or power. It was Jesus who, when the religious and political establishment made it a crime to forgive the sins of the poor and to break bread with the unclean and shameful, it was the person of Jesus who took on the mantle of criminality and lawlessness, who refused to compromise with authority and took his case and his broken body to the cross. But though the powers of the world thought that death could stop the uncompromising love and forgiveness of God, they were wrong. Jesus was raised by the power of God. Jesus will be raised. When we walk in this path of mercy and peace and justice, we raise Jesus. The Spirit swirls again in our hearts and in this place. This is our creed and our greatest hope. Or so I would have said if I had seen it coming. You see, this morning I'm hosting during the forum hour a Stump the Chump, an Ask Me Anything session. Um, uh, questions about the Bible or religious belief, anything else really. And I've been soliciting questions all week and thinking about the questions in the past that I've asked and been asked after identifying myself as a priest in various ways. One of them went like this. During seminary, I was visiting a church on Sunday morning that had a lot of foot traffic from downtown. And as I walked in, I could tell the person next to me had likely not been in church in a long time. We sat down together and I said to him that though I was visiting the church too for the first time, was studying to be a priest, and knew the Episcopal Church pretty well, could probably help if he had any questions. Now, of course, I had in mind logistical questions, like where to find the music, or when to stand and kneel, when to go up for communion. I probably could figure out where the bathrooms were in a pinch. You know, like the important stuff. The stuff that can make you feel out of place when among strangers. 
felt that I had really like done my job, that I was leaning into this ministry thing, that I was a minister of Jesus. We sat down as we collected ourselves. As the processional hymn was ramping up, he leaned over to me and said, with the gravity of the entire world on his shoulders, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? <laughs> it says here, pause for laughter. <laughs> uh, for real, that really happened. I made one of those deer caught in the headlight faces, mouth agape. The thought literally crossed my mind that I was being punked was perhaps on camera, that this was something that they did to maybe every seminary student at some point as some kind of ritualistic hazing. What I would have said if I had the time and space to think and pray and reflect is what I just did say at the beginning of this sermon. The power of divine love over the power of death. What I did say was, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and the moment was lost. I thought I would get another swing at it after the service was over, but just a few minutes before walking up for communion, he got up and left, walked out of the church. And as far as I know, my uh, I don't know was perhaps the last word he ever got on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Before I was a priest, I was trained to teach philosophy in college. One of the reasons I chose the priesthood is that this profession hopes to span the whole of life, to see it as all connected to the divine. Birth and death, the mundane and the spectacular, the pain and the anxiety, the joy and the stillness and the peace, all of it is fair game. All of it is the stuff, the atmosphere of what we do. Of course, I feel deeply indebted to my professors who did choose to teach and patiently handle me through my awkward late adolescence. But for me, in part, the draw to the priesthood is precisely in its overreach. Something that tries to pull in all of life Something that does this can be really difficult to clearly define and articulate. When we're asking questions about faith, where do we start? Where's the beginning? The earliest records we have of people struggling to answer this question go back to nearly the beginning of history. They go back to the beginning of questions themselves. So where do we start? Let me do something that priests don't often do. Let me offer something practical <laughs> for once, a practical piece of a place to start, and that is the bulletin. I printed them out for you today. You can take them home or recycle them, but I got into this um, for the most mundane reasons, and there's nothing more mundane than a church bulletin. But it is in the bulletin that we put our entire selves, or at least all that can fit in eight pages, 12 unimportant days. 
The bulletin tries to incarnate our most basic values, some of them. For instance, half of the bulletin is the liturgy of the Word that starts at the beginning, you know, with the collect and goes through uh, the confession right before we get to the second part, which is the liturgy of the table, the Eucharist. Which means at least half of our service is about reading and listening to stories not about us. Many of the stories are strange. Their origin is not European, but Middle Eastern. Not written by heirs of the Enlightenment, but by ancient people who in many ways saw the world as fundamentally different than us. This strangeness is not a feature to overcome, but a feature to celebrate, a tool in part to educate ourselves about how others, through a vast expanse of time, have seen the world and understood God's place in it. These ancient strange people also were people made of flesh and blood, so many of their hopes and fears, their mistakes and anxieties are exactly ours. This week, we hear Jesus preparing his disciples for, quote, distress among the nations, end quote. He tells them that people will faint from fear of what is coming upon the world. I read those words just as I was hearing about the new COVID strain in South Africa, just as I was beginning to feel again that familiar lurching in my heart. For some, religion is a kind of sentimental escapism, but a close reading of our sacred texts shows an unflinching realism about the challenges we will face and the courage and faith we will need to face them. Not only as individuals, but as a community. And it, us as a community, I think similar thoughts about it as um, in our prayers of the people and confession. In these things, we tie our hearts together. We list and name those who are sick, those in need. We celebrate the thanksgivings of our community. We confess our shortcomings. We acknowledge the power and danger of a world divided by sin and the power of death. But in all of this, it is our commitment to walk through it, the whole of life from beginning to end together that defines us. That we will stand shoulder to shoulder and defend the dignity of every last one of us. That our values as a church are found and purchased by our care and friendship with the outcast and the lonely and the sick. That this place is the place we bring the great sadness that lies in our heart, our own tragic failings, our stories of abuse, our depression, those things hardest 
to name and share. None of it, none of it is separate from the life of God. In our baptism, we say again and again, no matter what will come, we will be a people of God, speaking out into the world, out into the world, the words of Jesus. Peace, mercy, forgiveness, it is for this reason that Jesus tells his disciples in the gospel today to stay alert, to be awake, that even when the heavens shake, to not let our hearts be weighed down, to not be drowned in worry. And thus we must sing. We must give ourselves space to let our hearts soar, to be unbound and lifted up, to acknowledge that we cannot do it ourselves, and thus we open our hearts to each other and thereby share in the power of God. It is Advent, the beginning of the beginning yet again. The creeds we read in this service are not facts entered into evidence, but are promises we commit to making true. With Jesus, we refuse the power of death. With Jesus, we proclaim a gospel not of shame, but hope. A gospel not of greed, but sacrifice. A gospel not of condemnation, but forgiveness. Jesus is here in our midst, hand outstretched, beckoning us to this great resurrection. Amen.